0: March Madness 365 with Andy Katz is presented by Grammarly. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that gives your team an instant first draft in a few clicks, not a few hours. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. Grammarly works seamlessly across 500,000 apps and websites. Get personalized on-brand writing help everywhere your team works. Learn what better writing can do for your company at Grammarly.com. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to the latest edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz. And on this edition of our podcast, I'll be joined by UCLA's Chris Smith, who's out for the year with an ACL injury, getting his perspective on dealing with that and rehabbing. Charles Bassey from Western Kentucky, one of the top players in the country you may not know. So great to get his perspective uh, as the Hilltoppers are going to be one of those teams that I know we're going to be talking about in March. If they can get by UAB, by the way, in Conference USA, that's still not a given. All right, before we get to the bracket, yes, the first bracket of the month of February, I just want to mention that, and I'm not going to give this due because We're just here on a podcast and you cannot give it due. But I do just want to say that John Cheney, who passed away over the past week at the age of 89, here's what I think of when I think of John Cheney. I think of passion, purpose, perseverance. I think of an innovator, an advocate. All of those things come to my mind when I think of his Hall of Fame coaching career. You know, look, he he never went to a Final Four, but he was a Hall of Famer. You're not defined by that. And he won a landslide amount of games, okay, doing it his way, teaching, educating. He was Philadelphia, North Philadelphia, lived in the same row house, knew his neighborhood, went to the same spots to get his sandwiches and everything else. He was a fixture in the city. He was a mentor, a leader in the black community. A trailblazer. Ended up well. He was from Jacksonville, Florida. Went to Bethune Cookman. Ended up in went to Cheney State first, then Temple, and revived that great program, and put it in and became a, a power. Uh, look, he was stubborn at times. You know, had his moments, but he was an incredible teacher. You know, my interactions with him weren't many, but those that I did have in my career. I always left sort of jaw on the floor because when he spoke, you listened. You stopped what you were doing. The 6 a.m. practices were notorious, uh, but a lot of times they didn't even practice. They would just literally talk. Whatever was on his mind, it didn't matter. It was politics. It was basketball. something you watched, something you want to talk about. Win or lose, I remember one time I was at a game that Temple played at Fordham. And they won. And I waited, I think, outside for an hour to talk to Coach Cheney. That's after a win. His players loved him. They would run through a brick wall for him. They absolutely loved the man. It just felt like his words always had meaning. The matchup zone, of course, that's what he was known for tactically. But he maximized his talent. And I think more than anything, he had a presence, you know, he had that raspy voice, but it's never going to be forgotten. He was a legend. Uh, there's a Twitter account called Cheney's Quotes. that's run by Dan Lewitz, the former assistant, now the SEC associate commissioner. Um, so you can read some of those quotes there on Twitter. Just such a legend. Uh, and he's just going to be incredibly missed in the basketball community. His health had deteriorated over the last couple of years. Um, but to lose John Cheney and John Thompson... It's just monumental in the sport, their impact. You, you can't measure these icons. just it's a different era. And you know, I do think there are those that can pick up the baton. You know, I think on the men's and women's side. I think Don Staley is doing a phenomenal job, and she looked at Coach Cheney as a mentor. She's doing an amazing job at South Carolina. On the men's side, you know, I do think, and look, it doesn't have to be a black coach who follows in his footsteps, but I will say that there are still need to be more opportunities for black head coaches, and hopefully, there will be around the country, and uh, I think we will see more get opportunities. I hope so. I know we're seeing it in the administrative level, Dwayne Peavy who is the athletic director at DePaul, he's going to end up being a trailblazer in his own right. And so I I do think that we will see more breaking barriers going forward to hopefully a time where it doesn't have to be a barrier to be broken. But John Chaney, like John Thompson, two Hall of Famers, two legends, two people whose voices were so important in the 80s and the 90s and the early 2000s, and we miss voices like that now. And hopefully we'll get more strong voices in the future. You know, I just, off the top of my head, I'm just thinking like someone like Conzo Martin at Missouri. He has a, a quietness about him, but he's got presence. He commands the room. Um, and when he speaks, you listen. Uh, so, you know, there will be other trailblazers and people who will continue to knock down these doors and hopefully more opportunities will continue. Before we get to our guests, as I mentioned, we put out our first bracket this week. I want to highlight a couple things. Uh, First bracket, I should say, of February. So the one seeds, Gonzaga, Baylor, Villanova, Michigan. So Gonzaga would play Michigan, Baylor would play Villanova in a true one seed Final Four. I don't think you get any argument there. The twos, Houston, Texas, Iowa, Illinois. Illinois with the big win over Iowa. The threes, Ohio State, Alabama, Virginia, and Oklahoma. Oklahoma, as I'm taping this, they were playing Texas Tech, but they earned it prior to that. Fours, Florida State, Missouri, Tennessee, West Virginia. My last four in, Colorado State, Loyola, Chicago, Maryland, Seton Hall. First four out, Penn State, Syracuse, Providence, Utah State. Duke and Carolina are in. Michigan State, Kentucky are out. Are they out for good? No. Is it going to be tough? Yes. A lot of work to do. In terms of the Big Ten, I got 10. 10 Big Ten teams with the potential for 11. Could they get 12 if Michigan State gets its act together? Maybe. Uh, Other teams, just to highlight if this holds, that I think will be significant. Just scanning the bracket. Uh, Georgia Tech, which lost on Monday to Louisville, still have them in, but that'd be great if Josh Pastor can get the squad in there. Two out of the Valley, I mentioned Loyola Chicago, got Drake, of course, in there as well. Oklahoma State, as of now, is eligible for the tournament, which would be great to see Kate Cunningham in there. St. Bonaventure, the Atlantic 10 is going to be one to watch because at this juncture, they're sort of beating each other up. St. Louis, Richmond, Dayton, Davidson, they're all beating each other up, and St. Bonaventure has emerged as the best team. So I have one out of the Atlantic 10 right now. The other team to look out for here, just to sort of digest here as well, as I'm scanning here, that have fluctuated, I guess, a little. Well, Kansas is a good example I just want to highlight. They're a five-seed in our bracket. They're trending in the wrong direction. They certainly can climb back up. They'll have opportunities. But see them as a five-seed is a little jarring, if you will, And I think they're one to watch. There's no question about it. You know, there are other schools that certainly can climb. UConn at nine. If Booknight comes back, James Booknight, they'll climb higher. So keep an eye out for them. You know, I'd say Creighton is a five. They could climb higher still. So there's still a lot of movement. We're going to be doing this every week. We'll see if more A-10s get in there, uh, if they can create a little bit more separation. Uh, The other thing I just want to add, too, we did our midseason Coach of the Year list last week. There are three names that I would now put on this week. Lon Kruger from Oklahoma for sure would be on there. Mike White from Florida. Think of what they've done without Keontae Johnson. Knocked off Tennessee, West Virginia. They're back in the mix. And Mark Schmidt from St. Bonaventure. All three have done an outstanding job. And every week it could change. And this week I would have those three coaches in my top 10. All right, my interview with Chris Smith from UCLA. You know, I want to get his perspective of what it's like to go through a season-ending injury during a pandemic. Um, I think you're going to find it pretty fascinating how, in a weird way, he can't really be a full member of the program um, because of safety protocols. Uh, And yet UCLA is atop the Pac-12. So I've always had a pleasure interviewing Chris. I think he has got a great grasp on his game on the sport and um, really good perspective. So I think you'll enjoy listening to Chris Smith of UCLA, who I think we'll be talking about quite a bit, whether it's back at UCLA next year or in the NBA. Chris, I wanted to chat with you after your uh, you know devastating injury, you turn your ACL and you're out for the year. You played eight games, leading the Bruins in scoring, and it's obviously a testament to this team that they've been able to maintain a level of excellence in first place in the Pac-12 13-3 overall as we're talking in advance of the big rivalry game against USC. So first, I want to know how you're doing on your rehab. I'm doing pretty well,
1: actually. I was a bit ahead of schedule, but um, as we've progressed uh, in the past couple of weeks, I need to, you know, get a couple of things that I'm not there yet with as far as, like, extension and whatnot, but we don't have to get into all of that. But uh, I'm doing pretty well, actually, uh, just trying to, you know, keep my spirits up especially when I'm around the team. So, uh, but yeah, overall, I'm doing pretty well.
0: So that's the thing, like in a normal time, uh, going through rehab is difficult enough. Now throw in a global pandemic and all the protocols that you have to put in place to rehab, surgery, be around the team. And and I'm curious, um, because everything is so strict, how has life changed for you in terms of being around the team, Uh, you know, in terms of being, still considered tier one and all those kinds of things that I'm just curious if they still apply to you uh, because you have to go down a different path in terms of your recovery.
1: I mean, I'm not allowed to be around the team as much as I was before. At the, like, last game, I couldn't, like, stand up and get up and go, like, back and forth, you know, to the huddle and whatnot, even though I was out of the game um, because of, you know, how cautious we're being with it. But, I mean, things are just, like, different. I mean, before... When I was playing, it was pretty much the same. Just came, practiced, you know, went to class after practice, did my homework and whatnot, and then just either stayed at my apartment or, you know, went to my teammates to hang out. Uh, But obviously, it's a bit, you know, harder for me to move around now. Um, And, you know, while they're in practice and whatnot, I'm doing, like, rehab. So I don't get to see them uh, as much, you know, anymore. Um, But good thing... You know we got we got a lot of great guys here, so you know they check up on me all the time, and and uh, you know I go over to their houses as much as possible. I uh, just have my brother drop me off wherever, um, but I mean pretty much life is still the same. I'm just not playing anymore and <laughs> not moving as much anymore. But uh, yeah, I hope that answered your question.
0: Yeah, I mean because I'll, I'll tell you, Chris, I, I worried about people like yourself and that you know it, it's it's a it's not fair but I understand it um, because of all the protocols. But here you are, you know, obviously the leading scorer, someone who's a very big part of this program, and yet you have this major injury, and then suddenly you have to be sort of ostracized and kicked to the side uh, because you can't be around the team. And yet in the same breath, oh, we want him to be around the team, we want him to be a part of everything, and we want him to help support us. I mean, striking that balance, I think, is going to be incredibly difficult for you.
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, I had to come in every day no matter what on off days. There's no off days for me anymore. Um, but, you know, as far as being around the team with the pandemic going on, um, I still test normally, you know, with my teammates who are out on the patio, test every morning because I still have to come in. I still have to finish my uh, contact tracing at home and I still have to finish COVID check every morning. I show them who I've been around in the recent day, show them like where I'm trying to be on camps before I even come in, you know, still take the swab test and whatnot, just to make sure that I'm not the guy that ruins it for everybody uh, with the COVID. Before the season started, we had the slogan, don't be that guy. So no one wants to be that guy. And I'm definitely not going to be that guy, especially since I can't even play because you know I already feel bad at the moment. But if I would have ruined the rest of their season uh, because I tested positive, that would make me feel even worse. So you know, as far as being with the team during the pandemic, uh, it's just a little harder for me now because I can't move around as much. But, you know, with the testing and everything, we're still staying safe. The main person I'm with every day is Shane, our trainer. So, you know, I don't want to, you know, get it at home or whatever while I'm outside of here because I know I have to see him every day. And without Shane, I mean, his team would not really, this <laughs> team wouldn't run. So I'm just staying safe as possible, just like I was before, you know, I even got injured.
0: Well, wow, I'll tell you, that that's an incredible burden to obviously have to bear. And, and that slogan, I hadn't heard that before this season from any other team. Don't be that guy. Don't be that guy. Yeah. I mean, that I, I understand it. No one wants to be that guy in any way. All right. So from your analytical point, how do you explain the way this team has maintained, you know, its excellence at both ends of the court uh, in your absence?
1: Uh there's no analytics I can give you a name though. I'm pretty sure you know the name I'm about to give you. That name is Mick Cronin. That is how this team has kept everything together. I mean, without me, we still got that, you know, that backbone and whatnot. We understand how we win games. Uh, And without me, we we know that we're going to have to be a little bit better on the defensive end. Um, But like Jimmy Butler said, I believe very strongly that with me on this team, we have a better chance of winning. But this team is still amazing without me. And in my opinion, we got the best coach in college basketball. So in my absence, I still think the team is going to be really good. And they've shown that. I have not lost a game at home. Our last home loss was, what, last last season against Stanford. And, I mean, we're at the top of the pack. So I gave you the name. I could give you some more names like Jaime Hawkes, guys like that, Tiger Campbell. I mean, I pretty much named the whole roster. But, I mean, it's guys on this team that know what they can do, what they need to do to help us win. And the reason why we win is because we understand what got us there and they
0: just keep doing that. So that's that's your name. There's no analytics to it. <laughs> that's your name. Chris, I, I first of all, I appreciate the way you broke that down for me. Very simple. Uh, and I think you're 100% correct. All right, lastly, your future. Obviously, we hope everything goes well. We hope we're on the other side of the pandemic sometime this summer. That's fingers crossed. What is your plan where you hope to be, you know, a year from now? <sighs>
1: To be honest with you, I haven't even thought about that. Right now, I'm just trying to go as hard as possible, rehab and uh, physical therapy every single day. And uh, when I can, I'm trying to be the number one cheerleader on the side. So uh, those are the two things that I'm worried about right now as far as where I'm going to be in a year. uh, I feel like that'll take care of itself, you know, because one thing's got to happen before anything can happen and that is my rehab has to go well and I have to get back to 100%. So, you know, once I get that done, then I feel like I can move on to something else. But big thing at hand is making sure that I get back to being healthy and that I cheer my team on even harder than how I did when I was playing. So I'm just trying to be a really good cheerleader right now and I'm trying to go hard at rehab every
0: morning. Well, I know where I hope we are a year from now in a much better place and uh, doing these kind of interviews in person that's where I hope I am a year from now. Look, Chris, I always appreciate talking to you. I wish you nothing but the best. You really are soldiering on. Um, You know, it's difficult enough if someone tests positive, they got to be in isolation, but then they come back to the team. You don't have that option as you're going through rehab and then you got to sort of do it by yourself. It's even more difficult and you're doing a great job, obviously staying positive and passionate about everything. And with this UCLA program, I appreciate you stay safe and uh, hopefully we'll talk at some point in person. Thank you. Always appreciate it, man. Andy Katz, that guy will rank his wife's dinners. He'll rank anything. And now it's time for Katz Ranks here on March Madness, March Madness 365. And for this week, I'm going to look at the top 10 bubble teams. Now, these are not necessarily in order of how I think they will get into the NCAA tournament, but these are the top 10 teams that I think we should watch over the final month of the regular season that will be on one side or the other of the bubble. Let's start in the Big Ten. Maryland and Penn State, two schools that have had big time wins within the Big Ten, and there's no question that both those schools could put themselves in position to be on the right side of the bubble. They gotta win more games. They gotta get above 500 a little bit more. There's no question about that, but they both have recorded big time wins, road wins, that I think will put them in position to watch over the final month. St. Louis, prior to the pause, a long pause, the Billikens looked like a team that was definitely gonna be in the NCAA tournament. They come back, they lose to Dayton, they lose their chance to play Richmond, so we gotta watch what happens with the Billikens because they've got good numbers, but now they gotta get some wins. St. John's, suddenly the Red Storm are one of the hottest teams in the Big East, climbing from the bottom into contention for a possible bubble spot. Colorado, a couple weeks ago, The Buffaloes looked like a team that was trending in the right direction. They were going to be for sure in the NCAA tournament. And then they lost. And they lost again uh, to Washington, to Utah. Um, So now they're really straddling it. They've got work to do. Seton Hall. The Pirates have been right on that line consistently. Um, Had a great win early in the season against Penn State. Had a chance to beat Villanova. Couldn't get it done. Then lost to Villanova again. Uh, lost to the Buzzard of Providence Uh, so the Pirates are right there and they're going to go either way on this bubble. Loyola Chicago all the talk about Drake in the valley well Loyola Chicago is going to get a crack at Drake and both those schools are playing like NCAA tournament teams and if Drake were to win out or lose one of these games to Loyola or get swept by Loyola then the Ramblers are going to be right there to potentially get in on their own without having to maybe win the valley. San Diego State The Aztecs, early in the season, beat UCLA. Uh, They got beat by BYU. They're starting to climb back up in the Mountain West Conference. How they play against Boise is going to be a big-time matchup. Of course, Colorado State as well and Utah State. They're all in the same pool. Uh, Could two of them go? Sure. Uh, I feel good about Boise. There's a second one. Who's it going to be? We'll talk about that here in a moment. Providence. The Friars beating Seton Hall at the buzzer. They've had good road wins. But then missed opportunities the game against georgetown is really crushing for them kind of game that they probably shouldn't have lost but did so the friars are right on that line which seems like they always are but they're going to be on either side of this bubble in a month and lastly utah state going back to the mountain west conference you know i could put Colorado state there um but i'm going to go with utah state as another school out of the mountain west conference that i think is going to be riding this bubble line all the way to selection sunday so Those are, for now, and this list is going to change, my top 10 bubble teams to watch here in the final month of the regular season. And now joining me here on March Madness, March Madness 365, Charles Bassey from Western Kentucky. And Charles, you're having an all-American type season, definitely one of the top players at your position and one of the top players in the country, various National Player of the Year awards, and we'll get to your stats here momentarily. But I want to go back first for those that aren't as familiar, basically your path to where you are now from Nigeria, ultimately to Western Kentucky. Just, you know, sort of in a nutshell, if you could just take us through that journey, how you got from there to where you are now.
2: I left Nigeria when I was 14. I came to the state, went to a high school in Texas, St. Antony's, then did my junior year at Louisville, a school called Aspire. And then you all know I came, I came to I reclassified, uh, and then I came to can um, Kentucky, and my first year was pretty good. I went to the draft, came back. Then my second year, that's when I got injured. I was out for like almost a year. I uh, went through my rehab every day, came back, and now I'm just playing my game.
0: And, and we're going to dive into that here momentarily. Obviously, having that experience in the state of Kentucky helped you get to Western Kentucky, but you, know, you were an immense talent, are an immense talent, Um, What was the lure to take your talent to a school like Western Kentucky, which obviously has great history, but is not as nationally known or on sort of major broadcast networks as regularly?
2: Uh, You know, I had a good relationship with the coach. Uh, You know, I had a good relationship with Rick. Uh, Since I was in high school, he's been out of my games, my practices. even My early practices at 5.30 a.m., he'd be there with my teammates, and You know, just a coach dedicating his time to a player like that, I just felt like, yeah, he really wants me. So I just felt like that was the place for me, and I felt like WK was the spot for me to go to.
0: And I want to stress here that what we've seen, certainly with the NBA, is doesn't always necessarily mean uh, where you go is about where you end up. There's plenty of great players, certainly, you know, in the current NBA that have not gone to sort of the brand-name schools. All right, so as you mentioned, freshman year, you average 14 and 10, things are going great. Sophomore year, uh, around the same, 10 games in, you break your tibia. A crushing sort of emotional situation for you, I am sure. You know, in that moment when you could have obviously been, you know, already in the NBA draft, what were those times like when that happened and the rehab as to, you know, your mindset about what you needed to do to get back to where you were prior to the injury? You know,
2: those times were tough. I was all mental, you know. I just have uh, good people around me to just push me, you know, have my family, have my teammates, uh, the staff, the coaches, and my friends, just everybody around me to just push me. You know, those times were tough. Going to rehab every day with my school trainer, with my strength and conditioning coach. Those times were just tough, you know. I just just do what I got to do to just get back and just do it consistently every day. Just make sure I'm back fully healthy, which I am now, and just get back to who I am, just get back to playing my
0: game. What were the low points?
2: those days where like during my rehab there's a sudden level where you just feel like okay this is better and then the next day your trainer was like oh we will moving to a, a different exercise like I remember the exercise that was bothering me then was doing lunges man that was that was tough but you know as a player you just have to just overcome those, those pain and just do it and after the lunges then you just go to the next step I just feel like during those phases the next exercises were just going like tougher and tougher and I just feel like you gotta just overcome this this pain and just the way you're supposed to do it to get back.
0: And you certainly did. I mean, now as a junior, seventeen point eight and twelve point two through January thirty first, leading the country with 196 total rebounds, you had forty-three dunks, eleven double doubles. You know, and in the big games, Louisville, Alabama, Memphis, West Virginia, you're averaging nineteen and twelve. What is it about those games earlier this season? When you're going up against some of the brand names, power five type schools, that uh you relished that kind of competition.
2: I mean, I just feel like I'll do that against any team, you know, power five, non power five. That's how I play. I just feel like I don't matter. I'm just gonna have to play my game if I'm playing against any team, it don't matter. So I mean, those those games just, you know, gives you your confidence back. I just you know, I felt like after my first game against Northern Iowa, my coach was like, How did you feel after your first game back? And I was like, do you know. I lost a little bit of rhythm. This game was just me getting back, getting my growth back. I'm going to be ready for the next game. And I came in against Memphis, and I do what I'm supposed to do. And everybody felt the old Charles was back. And, yeah, I just feel like those kind of games just gives you confidence going into any game you're going to play. So I just feel like just doing that against that team, those kind of teams, I'm going to do that against any other team.
0: How, How much did you need to prove to yourself, let alone NBA scouts, that you could come back from the injury? And be the player that you knew you were.
2: I mean, I watched Gandhi. I watched playing in the league do that. So I just feel like you know I have to just come back and I don't have to prove to anybody. I just have to prove to myself who I am and just have to go there and do what I do. You know, everybody write me off and stuff. So I feel, you know, I feel after the injury, nobody talked about me and stuff. But I didn't care about that. I just care about myself, care about my body, my injury. Just get it back and just make sure I play with the way I'm supposed to play and just do everything the way I'm supposed to do it. You know, I was just all about myself and my team and just. Helping them this year, I know why I can.
0: So Charles, you're doing all this amid a pandemic, an unprecedented year in in all of our lives. How have you been able to maintain your focus, your health, you know, amid really sort of the social isolation that we're all having to go through uh, during this unprecedented season? Oh, uh, you know, I
2: mean, I'll say my pandemic started when I had start doing my rehab because then everybody went home. It was just me and my trainer, my training and conditioning coach in school, we, we, we come here like five days a week, you know, we grind out. I do my rehab. I go to the weight room, get my legs stronger. And then, you know, I go back home, just stay focused, watch some of my game film after my 10 games just to see what I'm going to do better when I get back. And just doing that every day. And then, you know, talking to my teammates. They talk to me every time, asking me how I'm feeling. And then when I go back to school, it was at the same, you know, we're just grinding everything out and then, we as a team and we talk to ourselves and we're like, you know, this is times where we're like, we have to stay safe. We don't want to get any of our games postponed or stuff like that. So we just have to stay safe. And even though our games get postponed, it's not because of us, probably because of the other team. So I just feel like we've been serious about this COVID stuff and we've not had a, a COVID issue since, since we started not start playing. So we've just been more careful and we'll be much about the situation.
0: You know, one word that I've heard from a lot of your peers during this is grateful and, uh, you know, just for having the opportunity to play because so many other people in society aren't able to do what they love. I think you have also a different perspective. You know, you came from Nigeria. Correct me if I'm wrong here, but the appreciation to, you know, play this game that obviously, you know, this opportunity that you have in front of you, uh, even within a pandemic. So how would you describe you know, what you're going through based on your past and your history of just having these opportunities amid, you know, an unbelievable year? Oh, like I said, it's a blessing,
2: you know, uh, you playing basketball and it's a, it's a blessing. And, you know, when you play basketball and you make something out of, out of what you're doing, you want, to, you want to give back to the community. So I just feel like during this pandemic times that guys that just want something like this to just make them happy and they don't have that. So just me and my teammates and even the coaches coaching us, it's just a blessing playing this game and just getting focused and just moving on. I just feel like, yeah, uh, it's a blessing.
0: And lastly, Charles, you guys got to get there. But assuming that you do, what kind of trouble could opposing teams have if they face Western Kentucky in March Madness?
2: Like I said, man, we're just going to play the way we play. Just going to do what we're doing the call, you know. Uh, we're going to be ready for any team. I just feel like Before the beginning of the season, we've been ready as a team. Our focus has been there. Our hard work has been there. And I just feel like going into games, we're going to be ready. And that's what I got to say. We're just going to be ready for any team that we're going to play.
0: Well, I appreciate it, Charles. Wish you nothing but good health. And uh, we hope we see you in March Madness. Thank you. And now it's time for March Chadness here on March Madness 365. And Chad, You know, I didn't look at my record, so I'm going to let you, and as we're taping this, I still don't know. I have no
3: idea how well I did, uh, but
0: I feel like it was okay.
3: Yeah, no, this will be a fun surprise then for you. Um, You know, last week, we technically asked you to pick uh, 15 games because you picked every single SEC Big 12 Challenge matchup. Uh, There were a couple of games in there that, that got either canceled or postponed, but overall, for the week... Every matchup you picked, you went 9-4. and And that actually puts you at 50 total wins on the season. You're 50-29. and uh, How are you feeling about that record so far?
0: Well, I think that's great, and it's a good recovery from that one really awful week when I got slammed at the beginning of the week. I think I started 0-3. Yep. So I will take that with a 9-4 and week and 50-29 overall. I know there are certain fan bases that think I don't know what I'm talking
3: about, and that's fair. But uh, Yeah, maybe you know, Oklahoma if you picked against them twice last week.
0: <laughs> yes, although... And we credited Oklahoma. Team of the week. They are a team of the week. But I will say this. The odds were stacked against them, especially because, you know, they're missing two starters against Alabama. Yep. And they still win. So they get all the credit in the
3: world. And that's why they were our team of the week. That's right. That's why you play the games. So how about, let's start with this, just probably the matchup of the week, honestly. And it's the first one we'll look at. Tuesday night, February 2nd, Number 2 Baylor at number 6 Texas. Uh, Texas, you'd think would be well uh, well rested for this game. They were a little short handed on that you know that one point loss to Oklahoma, and then the game against Kentucky was obviously canceled as Kentucky went on a, you know pause. But Baylor, they're still holding on to their undefeated record. They smoked K State by forty eight, and then they beat Auburn by double digits in the SEC Big Twelve Challenge. Uh, but they haven't played too many tough road games yet. The biggest one, I guess you could say, you know at Texas Tech, they won by eight. Pretty good test there. But this will be a massive one as well. Who do you think wins the showdown in Austin? I
0: have a hard time picking against
3: Baylor. You know, to your point, had
0: Texas stayed in a rhythm of playing every few days, I might feel better about it. But I have no idea what to expect from Texas. Shaka Smart, now just coming back, we saw that he was cleared on Monday to rejoin the team, so they'll have their head coach back. Um, Will they be 100% overall? I think so. They're supposed to. Uh, But they have not played together as a complete team, whereas Baylor has. And so I'm going to lean with the Bears. Uh, I think that uh, as you and I talked before, there's part of me that's kind of rooting for two teams to be
3: undefeated and meet on April 5th. So I'm not going against it right now. All right. Bears stay undefeated. Another matchup that night, Number 12 Illinois at Indiana. Illinois coming off pretty big win against Iowa. Uh, Trent Frazier, Iowa DeSumo both played lights out. Indiana, they also beat Iowa, but... They followed that up with a close loss to Rutgers, kind of up and down as they've been all year. Um, but they are at home. The game's in Bloomington. Who do you like to win?
0: So I'm going to go back to Illinois here. Uh, Indiana's been too inconsistent. While Trace Jackson Davis certainly can hold his own against Kofi Coburn, he doesn't have as much help, you know, then I think that that hurts. And he's going to have to really work hard defensively. That could work on him offensively. Uh, obviously, the guard play right now is playing better for Illinois than Indiana. While Indiana desperately needs a game like this, you know, it's not going to have the atmosphere it normally would. I'm going to go with Illinois here, see if they can strike some consistency
3: and win back-to-back big games. They're always tough to do coming off an emotional win, but we'll see if they can do it. Thursday night, all of a sudden, we've got a top-10 matchup here. Number seven, Ohio State at number eight, Iowa. Um, Ohio State, they've, they've really strung together some impressive wins at Illinois, at Wisconsin, and then they've really just kind of handled Michigan State recently. Iowa, quick turnaround here, though. They'll play Michigan State on Tuesday night, and then two days later, they've got to play Ohio State. Who do you like to win this game?
0: I like Iowa. You know, we saw the frustration from Fran McCaffrey, their head coach, after they lost to Illinois. That game was a great game. Possession, 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 back and forth. And, you know, as well as Ohio State has played, and they're certainly playing, you could argue, maybe the second best in the Big Ten behind Michigan, which is on pause right now. Uh, I would say that I'm going to still lean toward Iowa beating the Buckeyes, just overall talent, and Luca Garza uh, being able to sort of win the matchup against EJ
3: Liddell. All right, Iowa wins at home, even after playing a game two days before Saturday. We've got a handful of pretty good matchups here. We'll start with number 10 Alabama at number 18 Missouri. Alabama, as we kind of mentioned, their 10 game winning streak snapped by OU, but they're still perfect in conference play entering the week at least. Both these coaches. Nate Oates, Kwanzo Martin, uh, they were on your midseason coach of the year list. Which one do you think comes out with the win? So I'm going to go back to Missouri. I'm going to pick the Tigers here. You know, I loved the
0: way they showed some tremendous uh, toughness and gutting out that win against TCU. Uh, Xavier Pinson was phenomenal in that game. Uh, and Alabama scared me a little at the end of that Oklahoma game. They had multiple chances to at least uh, push that game into overtime. Couldn't convert. Oklahoma's defense has to get credit. But we said at the top of this, I mean, Oklahoma was shorthanded and Alabama didn't beat them. As much as I'm high on the tide, uh, this gives me some pause. And I like Missouri's experience better, especially
3: at home. All right. Missouri wins. Yeah, Xavier Pinson was red hot. I think he had, what, 36 points? uh, Over 30 points in that game? Yes. Yeah, unbelievable. So that'll be a fun one to watch. I kind of like Bama to win on the road there, but that'll be definitely a, a fun one to watch on Saturday. Let's keep moving with number 23, Kansas at number 17, West Virginia. And there's been a lot of talk about Kansas when it comes to their ranking. Uh, they've been ranked for 22 straight years. And a lot of Kansas fans are kind of keeping an eye on the polls every week, knowing that this is a little bit in danger as they come in, you know, right on the border. You'd think they kind of have a layup at the beginning of the week with K State. So it could come down to West Virginia. Do you think West Virginia maybe drops the dagger in this streak? Yeah, I do. Um, Kansas is trending in the wrong direction. I think they've lost. Four of
0: five, maybe? Yeah, they've lost four out of five. Not great. Four out of five. Thank you. The one win was the win against TCU over the last couple of weeks. So, yeah, they're trending in the wrong direction. West Virginia did get clipped at home by Florida, which, by the way, was a great win for the Gators. Mike White doing an outstanding job after they've lost uh, Keontae Johnson. Uh, So um, I I like West Virginia, which usually does play Kansas very well. And as crazy as it may seem, you know, we could see the Jayhawks as the fifth or sixth best team in the Big 12, which we've almost never
3: said before. But I I just, uh, I'm going to lean West Virginia here. Yeah, it's pretty wild to think about. They are tied for fifth or sixth with about two or three other teams. And, you know, we mentioned they've lost four out of five. All four of those losses by Kansas were on the road. So another one on the road, they'll have to maybe... Flip that script if they want to hang on to the ranking here. But that'll be that'll be a big, maybe historical moment to keep track of this weekend. And then let's look at another game, number 19, Wisconsin, at number 12, Illinois. Uh, Wisconsin, they've kind of bounced around the top 25, top 10. But most recently, they did lose to Penn State by 10 on the road, which is why I think they dropped to 19. Illinois, we already touched on them and their red-hot win. And, and you like Illinois to win uh, to begin the week. How do you like them to do here, Andy?
0: Yeah, I'm not going to say I'm down on Wisconsin, But I would just say that I think Wisconsin's getting exposed a little bit. I said this at the beginning of the season. You heard me say this. They don't have a star. And while at times we could say that'll work, you know, because they've got a really good team late in games. And yes, Dimitri Trice has sometimes done it. But for the most part, you kind of wonder, okay, who's going to take over here? Who's going to be that go-to player? Who's going to break someone down and actually get to the bucket and score? And sometimes I feel like they're searching for that person. Is it Trice? Is it Davison? Micah Potter can't really create on his own, even though he's had really good performances. And I think that hurts them. And Illinois certainly has players like that. And so I like the Illini here.
3: All right. It's a great point about late-game scenarios there. Um, Yeah, Illinois knows their guy. Io, even Trent Frazier could do it. They've got some clear studs down there to get you a bucket when you need it. So how about this late game Saturday night, number 21 UCLA at USC, battle of L.A. here, and maybe even the battle for the Pac-12, the top two teams in the conference. Who do you like to win? I actually like the Trojans here. You know, they they provided us
0: with one of the best memories of the last week of last season. USC won at the buzzer over UCLA. Uh, that was right before everything obviously shut down a couple days later. Um, that was the last regular season game. So I like the Trojans. I think they're trending in the right direction. Evan Mobley, I think, is going to be a real difficult matchup for UCLA. I still think overall UCLA is the best
3: team in the Pac-12, but in this instance, I like USC at the Galen Center. All right. Big win for USC, if that holds true. And then finally, the game I've saved for last year for you, Andy, and a lot of historical context is finalized as the polls were released this week, and it's Duke at UNC, and neither team is ranked. For the first time since February of 1960. If that doesn't speak to this rivalry, I don't know what does. I think it's the best rivalry in college basketball. Andy, who do you like to win round one of Duke UNC?
0: First of all, it's so crazy that I just totally blanked that that game is this week. Because usually we have incredible hype leading up to that game, maybe a week or so in advance. And I just like pause from it. And I'm like, oh my God, yeah, we're, we're already into February. That game's coming upon us and here it is. So they're both playing better. I would lean Carolina over Duke right now in terms of a team if I had to buy stock in that would make the tournament because I think that Carolina's bigs have the potential to be much more of a factor, and I think that's where they have the advantage. And so I'm going to go with Carolina at home over Duke in the first of two matchups.
3: All right, yeah, Carolina gets the win there. Yeah, it's, it's so wild to think about neither team being ranked. It's 1960, and if you just extend it a little bit, I mean, Duke didn't even receive votes, I don't think, in the AP this week. So Carolina may have gotten a few votes, but it's uh, certainly a unique time for this rivalry. We'll revisit all these picks, Andy, in in the first week of February and and keep moving. And let's keep this in mind. 50-29, 9-4
0: last week. Not bad. I'll take it. Stay safe, Chad. Thank you. All right, Andy, you too. And that'll wrap up this edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz. Uh, as always, I want a big shout out to my Turner Sports team that helps us put all this together Chad Acock, Abby Stoltz, Michael Kaplan, Sean Bartley, and the entire NCAA.com team that does a great job of repurposing our podcasts. Hey, stay safe, everyone. We're in February. We got one month to go. We got to get there. We can get there. March Madness is coming. March Madness 365 with Andy Katz, presented by Grammarly. AI seems to be all over the place, but with so many options on the market, how do you know what is good for you and your business? AI is no longer a plaything. It's a business imperative. Companies that already use AI for writing are making gains. If you want to beat the competition, you need an AI writing partner you can trust. One that will help you generate not just more content, but better. Grammarly saves your company from miscommunication and all the wasted time and money that goes with it. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that gives your team an instant first draft or the perfect last word, written in the company voice and tailored to their audience and goals. When every doc, message, and email your team writes is clear, compliant, and on-brand, everything gets better. Inbox numbers drop, customer satisfaction scores rise, and companies can save 19 days per employee per year. Learn what better writing can do for your company at Grammarly.com. Grammarly, easier said, done.